All right, open up your Bibles to Psalms 112, Psalms 112, and we're going to go there, and then also later we're going to be in 1 Peter, so if you want to stay there, 1 Peter chapter 2, and then Psalms 112. So this morning, uh, we're going to take a few minutes, the uh, last time we got together, the last time we gathered as men, we talked about orphans, slaves, and sons, and I, that is, to me, one of my core messages, something that God's doing in me, uh, showing me uh, the idea of sonship and what it means to live like a son. We, so we talked last time about orphans, slaves, and sons, and orphans... Orphans are men and women who want to be a part of something, but they simply don't know, uh, they don't trust, they, they've been hurt, they've been wounded, so they don't ever feel like they're really in or they're really a part, and they, they have a longing and a desire for a father, a dad, or somebody to really invest in them, but they're, they're nervous and scared, they've they're, uh, been abused a lot of times by authority, so therefore they, they, they drift around, they come sit in these meetings, but they don't ever feel like they're a part. Slaves are, are men and, uh, who uh, get all of their identity by what they do. Slaves are, are on the perpetual treadmill of performance. And they think that if they perform better and do a lot, they'll get somehow gain position by what they do. And churches are full of slaves. Many, most of the pastors I know are slaves. They have a slave mentality. They think, man, if I, if I do things, and that's why they work so much, that's why they're always doing church stuff instead of at home with their families. I've stood in front of hundreds, if not thousands of pastors in the last couple of years, and here's what I've told pastors. This will encourage you, I think. I've told church leaders, workaholics destroy as many families as alcoholics. And church leadership, I'm telling you, church leadership is full of workaholic slaves who are always doing church stuff. They're consumed by work. They're consumed by what they do because their identity comes from what they do. Those are slaves. And I was, I was a good slave one time. I, I spoke at slave conferences. I was a slave of all slaves. I had slave manuals. I've written them. I've lived them. I know what it feels like to get all of my identity by doing stuff like this. Even this morning, uh, I don't get any identity out of this. I, I like doing this. I like being with you. I enjoy teaching. I enjoy hanging out. But I don't get any of my identity out of that. I get my identity out of sonship. Resting assured that I am his son, that he is my father, that he's the sheep of the pasture in which I dwell. See, sons uh, have requirements. Sons should be doing things. Sons get to do things. But sons get to enjoy the land that the father owns. Sons are never wrestling with whether or not they belong because they know they belong. And it's not about their performance. It's about their position in the family. And so I, I, as we get together in these next few months, maybe even for the next couple of years, we're going to talk a lot about this because I think this is the issue for man. This is the biggest issue for men that I know. Men that I'm around normally struggle with this idea of where they belong and who they are and what God's called them to be. And so when we get together, I want this to be real casual. I want, in fact, I was walking out of the house this morning, and Pam normally sleeps in a little later on Saturday, so I'd, I'd gotten up early this morning. I fixed the you know, breakfast for the kids, and then, I, you know, then I'm getting ready to come here. And so I'm walking out the door, and she kind of looked at me, and she goes, you're going like that? You're, you're, your wife ever said that to you? It's, just, it's like, what? I mean, I was like, it's the guy's morning out, Pam. It's like, you, women don't get this. I was like... I wouldn't even, if I, if we did not have a birthday party after this, I got to go to my, you know, my little girl's nine, uh, nine-year-old birthday party, and there'll be some people there that I've never met. I said, if we didn't have a birthday party, I wouldn't even shaved. I, I wouldn't put a hat on. I mean, this is, what are you talking about? Like, what do you even like this? This is great. This is some of my favorite stuff. Of course, it's how I'm going. <laughs> so God's morning out is, we're going to be guys in here. We're going to unashamedly in love with testosterone. I'm okay with that. We're full of it. I'm all right with that. Like, good grief. 
So, you know, you, you, you got your favorite team, you wear your gear. You know, I was born and raised in Louisiana, and we, took, we got beat by Bama last Saturday, and I was depressed and heavy-hearted, but I'm still wearing my gear today, all right, because I, I believe in it, all right? So you wear your gear next time we get together, all right? All right, so let me just tell you the difference, uh, what I want to talk about this morning, because this, to me, when I'm around guys who are struggling with sonship or slavery or orphans, inevitably, the way it comes out of men is it comes out in the, in the, in the form of insecurity, now, insecurity is something that is a, it's a pandemic among believers, especially, and among men in general. And see, the, the idea of being secure, let me just read this to you, because it's an issue that most men battle. And insecure men, if you're, right, if you're taking notes or anything, you can use that little green thing that you got handed. Write this down, because this is something I want you to spend some time as you're driving around this week, as you're at your job. I want you to really give yourself a personal assessment about your, your own security. Insecurity, uh, insecure men are being controlled and tormented by unhealthy thoughts that lead to really destructive emotions and habits. I've been around, I have been, I've wrestled a great deal with insecurity. I'm going to talk about some of my own journey this morning as we talk, but insecurity is something that is pandemic among men. Sons, though, have discovered their real identity, and therefore they get to live with security and strength. Secure men are confident, in command, and they live life without a great deal of anxiety or fear. Let me ask you a question. When was the last time you went a long stretch of time without anxiety or fear? I mean, a long stretch of time. There, there are men, and see, here's, here's what we do as men. We've got this man facade, this tough guy facade we can put on. We don't, we all, most of us know how to act like man, talk like man, but inside of our hearts there's this anxiety, this fear that we would never confess to anybody because it would show weakness. It would reveal weakness, so therefore we even work harder at the facade. In fact, those men who have to work really hard at being men and acting like men, most of the time have this deep reservoir of anxiety and fear that they're trying to cover and hide from those around them. And I've been there. I know what that feels like to be a poser, to try to look strong, to look like I'm in command, but knowing truthfully that inside my heart I'm really wrestling with this fear and this anxiety. Insecure men are unstable, uncertain. They lack real confidence. They're shaky, and they're unsound. So I want to read this passage out of Psalms 112. David, as the leader of, of, of a nation, a leader of an army, a father, a husband, was someone who confessed openly in Psalms 51 and other Psalms where he was wrestling with insecurity, he was wrestling with who he was. But in Psalms 112, he had really come to the conclusion. He was beginning to get some revelation about his own identity. And I want to read Psalms 112 to you, the first six verses. It says, Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who finds great delight in his commands. His children will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. Even in darkness, light dawns for the upright, for the gracious and compassionate and righteous man. Good will come to him who is generous and lends freely, who conducts his affairs with justice. Surely he will never be shaken. A righteous man will be remembered forever. I'm going to go actually read through verse 9 here. Verse 7. He will have no fear of bad news. And think about that, guys. I mean, look, we live in, an, I, I, I have stopped turning on the news on some days because it's just so, it's, it's beginning to uh, affect me, my core, my stability, my security. It's like, I just am tired of bad news. But a secure man walks in the security that there is no fear of bad news. While he may hear bad news, there's not a fear of bad news. In other words, secure men can hear bad news and it not affect them a great deal. It says he will have no fear of bad news. His heart is steadfast 
trusting in the Lord. His heart is secure. He will have no fear. In the end, he will look and triumph on his foes. He has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn will be lifted high in honor. This is a guy who's beginning to get it, I think. I think David in this passage is beginning to understand, I am a son. I know I'm a son. And while I may hear bad news, while things may be swirling all around me inside my heart, I am stable. I am steady. I am in command. I am not unsure and I'm not shaky. I know who I am and therefore life and whatever life throws at me will not affect that from this day forward. This is what David is saying, guys. And this is what, if I had one thing I wish I could just transplant into all of our hearts today, is that that idea of being sound, stable, unmoving, unshaking in these days. And listen, we were singing this song, this last song. I almost got up and said it, but I said, well, I'm going to get up in a minute anyway. So let me just say this to you. I, I, here's my eschatology. The, in other words, my theology of the end times is this. I believe the world's going to get worse and worse, and the church is going to get greater and greater. And those men, the men in this room who will be Christ ambassadors in these dark days and who will be salt and light, the men in this room who will put a dent in the universe in those days are men who have discovered their sonship, who, are, who have fixed their eyes on Christ and Christ alone, who have built their lives on the rock and not on sand. It is, are, these are those men who will, who will make it, not only make it and survive, but we will thrive. We will multiply. We will be blessed. The power of God will be in the reservoir of our hearts. We will pray for the sick and see them recover. We will tell our story and see people born again. We'll pray for those who are bound and see them set free. If we will stay steady and fix our eyes on Jesus and not be distracted by things that are swirling around us. This, this is my heart as, as the pastor of New Life is to train up a group of men who are steadfast, unmovable, secure in who they are. Because it will, that, literally, you, you will not be able to survive with insecurity in the days that are coming. If you are wrestling with insecurity, you are in a dangerous place today. Because the times around us are not going to get great. The church will, though. I'm not talking about a building. I'm not talking about an organization. I'm talking about a, the uh, ecclesia of men, the, 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 the idea that we're together, living life together. Those are the men who will change the world. Those are the men who will put a dent in the universe and see God's kingdom come to the earth. Let me give you some traits this morning of insecure men, because I want us to really do a self-evaluation for all of us this morning. And I do this on a periodic basis. I've done it this week, actually. And I'll tell you why in just a moment. Here's some traits of insecure men. The one thing that I've found and I've discovered not only in my own heart, but in the men around me that I, I, I love and pastor and, and lead and mentor, these are some traits. When I discover insecurity in our hearts, here's, what I, here's the way it, it fleshes out. Here's the way it manifests. Number one, insecure men are paranoid. You know, here's a, one issue of insecurity is, how do you respond when somebody corrects you? Let me ask you a question. This is a good question to think. How, when was the last time someone corrected you? Told you no. Challenged you. Maybe, and I'm not talking about attacking you. I didn't say that they attacked you. I'm saying they, they corrected you. They said, hey, I, can I, I bring up something to you? <clears throat> can I challenge your ideology on this? Can I <clears throat> talk to you about something? here's what happens. If you're paranoid, you feel it's a personal attack every time someone corrects you. Paranoid men, insecure men, always feel that any correction, any challenge is a personal attack. When in, and in fact, it's mostly, most of the time it's not. Most of the time people, and I do get critics, I have critics for sure, because of the, my position here, I'm a big old bullseye for criticism, but, but I do, I, can, I feel like I can feel the difference now between attack and, and just somebody challenging, and that's fine, there's a difference 
And, and so I, I don't want to always assume that it's a personal attack. Do you, do you, and when you are attacked, when you are challenged, do you always think, are you always thinking of ways to even out the personal scoreboard? You attack me, I attack you. You challenge me, I'm challenging you. The scoreboard's got to be even. You see, paranoid people are always trying to make sure the scoreboard's even. They're always wanting to push back when they're getting pushed on. Here's another trait. Insecure men lack real confidence. They lack the real confidence of who they are. They, they're always wrestling with this idea. I don't have what it takes. Here's the whispers, the lies of the enemy that come to you as men. We know this, don't we? You go through a period of time where things haven't gone well. You've gone through a, some unsuccessful times where you're wrestling and maybe you've had some failures. Maybe the financial plan that you had has kind of melted away. Maybe the home you wanted to buy, is, you lost it. Maybe some of the things, the goals, the dreams, the aspirations have not, have not fleshed out the way you hoped they would. And here's what the enemy says. The whisper. Your failure. You don't have what it takes. You're never going to measure up. He's always, see, if you believe those lies, then here's what happens. The enemy begins to produce false evidence to support it. And it's mostly things around you. It's mostly stuff, practical things. You see, a secure person knows this. Listen, life is about success and failure. Hitting it, striking out and hitting home runs is part of life. Sons, sons get to go back to the dugout and get ready for the next at bat. I mean, I grew up playing baseball. My senior year, we won the state championship. And in, in, in Louisiana, I was the starting third baseman. I loved baseball, grew up with it, enjoyed it. And, and, and see, sons, I, and there were guys on our team, when they would strike out, it was the end of the world. They'd come back to the dugout and just fall apart. But the rest of us were like, man, Babe Ruth struck out seven out of ten times. And that's, you're, you're in the Hall of Fame if you strike out seven out of ten times. Then you hit 300, you're in the Hall of Fame. See, sons always see it differently than that. I'm like, I another bat. I, it's not, I'm not a failure. I'm going to get another shot at this. An 0 for 4 day in the, at the game doesn't mean anything about my identity. It means I need to work harder, probably practice a little harder, probably pay more attention to the guy who's throwing the ball, but it doesn't mean anything about my identity. And I always loved that about my dad. My dad, he wasn't a believer at all during those times when I was playing sports, but my dad had something built into him somehow that when I got out in the car, he'd go, hey, son, you know, I, you know, I wasn't a great player. I, was, I think I hit like 230, 240 my senior year. I, I was a, just a puncher guy. I weighed a buck 30. I hit singles, you know, and I... I had a good arm, so I played third. That's about it. I wasn't a great athlete. I wasn't that good. I was average at best. And, and you know, I get out in the car, and my brother was All-State. My brother was a USA Today top 100 player in high school. I mean, he, my brother was an All-American. So my brother, he, he, had, he was a stud in the family. I was, I, was, I, had, I was smarter than my brother, but not as talented. <clears throat> and he, he'd probably tell you that. I'm sure he would. The point is, is that when I'd get out in the car, my dad would never tie my identity to my performance. I, want you to, I just want to warn you dads out here today, don't ever tie your child's identity to their performance. Don't, it's not about there. You've got to assure them, affirm their identity. Now, challenge, if they're, if they're lazy, if they're not, all those things need to be challenged. But don't, don't ever, somehow you've got to never tie it to their identity as sons and daughters. So I, I do expect Abram and Callie to do well at school and to do their best. But I don't focus as much on that as I do their identity because out of, if I can get their identity established in their hearts, most of the time, if not all the time, when you get a kid's identity settled, their performance will catch up. They will catch up. But we spend so much time on performance and not enough time on identity. Here's the third trait of insecure men. Insecure men are defensive. Always defensive. 
Now listen, I, I, let me tell you, there's a difference, in, in, and I want you to understand the difference. We'll talk more about this later when we get together some other times. I do believe as dads, we are to defend our families. As pastor, I'm supposed to be the defender, the shepherd of the flock to some degree. Although Jesus ultimately is the over-shepherd, I'm simply here to, to nurture and help what Jesus is doing to, to work in his fields that he's given me. But I've found that, that there are times when I am supposed to defend, but I'm never supposed to be defensive. And there is a huge difference. Defensive means I am, I'm reacting. I'm reacting to things. I'm always reacting to things. Instead of defending is being proactive. I am defending So as a dad, we're supposed to be defenders of our home, defenders of our marriage, defenders of our own hearts, but not be defensive. Here's the fourth trait. Insecure men normally are self-promoting. What happens, and I'm going to tell you the root of this in just a minute. Here's a huge root here, and I'm going to tell you the root. We're going to go to 1 Peter chapter 2 right now. Go to 1 Peter chapter 2. Let me show you why these four traits typically surface in men who are wrestling with insecurity. Now, I'm going to read this out, 1 Peter 2, 21 through 24. And I want you to listen with me and see if you can uncover the root. What is it? What is the root issue? I'm not talking about the fruit. I just gave you a lot of fruit, you know, defensiveness, paranoid, self-promoting. All those things are fruits of the insecure root that is in our heart. 1 Peter 2, verse 21, it says, this first passage is not very encouraging. This suffering is all part of what God has called you to. You know, I think we have gotten a bad theology on suffering, by the way. You know that? It's kind of like we don't want to talk about it. But according to Scripture, we're going to be persecuted. We are going to suffer at times. There is a theology of suffering in the New Testament. The suffering is all part of what God has called you to. Christ, who suffered for you, is your example. Follow in his steps. He never sinned, and he never deceived anyone. And let's pay, pay attention right here, okay? This is, this is where the roots are to be revealed. He did not retaliate when he was insulted. You remember the defensive, being defensive. When he suffered, he did not threaten to get even. You know, evening up the scoreboard. You challenge me, I'm going to challenge you. He left his case in the hands of God, who always judges fairly. He personally carried away our sins in his own body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. And you have been healed by his wounds. Now, we read that scripture, and it is certainly talking about physical healing. But it also is talking about, listen, Jesus is a holistic God. Jesus, or Jesus was talking about not only our physical healing, he was talking about our emotional healing too. And there's a lot of men with a lot of emotional baggage, a lot of emotional wounding. And out of that, this insecurity takes root in that, that soil of, in, of, of wounding. And, and, and we don't know why. Why are we so insecure? Why are we so paranoid? Here's the root issue. Insecure people believe God is idly standing by and not helping their cause. That's, you get down to the root of why we wrestle with insecurity. It's this. We are convinced, we have believed the lie that God has got bigger things to do in heaven than to pay attention to us. That he's idly standing by ignoring our cause, our plight. The, the, the pressure that we're under It must not be that important to God because he's not fixing it. This pressure I'm feeling, why am I feeling this pressure? God must not even care because if he did, he would take this pressure off of me. That's the root. See, the spirit of Christ, the spirit of Christ cannot cohabitate in our hearts with fear. He will not share room with fear. 
He has, he's come today to challenge us. He's not a good roommate for fear. Jesus said, I want it all. I want all of your heart. We just sang this song. I will trust the Lord at all times. I was reading that. I was singing that out loud. I stopped in my mind. I went, do I? I mean, that's a good song. We're all yelling it out. We trust the Lord at all times. Do we? I'm just asking you a question. Do you trust him at all times? All times, every day. It's a noble goal. I want to. Jesus is secure because he's never felt threatened. Let me show it to you in John chapter 19. Jesus is about to be sentenced to the cross. He's already been beaten. The Roman guards have already, uh, the Roman soldiers have already beaten the stew out of him. He's bloodied, standing before Pilate. He's already been slapped and spit on. He knows what's ahead. The worst is still ahead of him, though. And in his mind and in his heart, I've been to the Garden of Gethsemane. When you go there, you can feel the angst, what he's feeling. Take this, if it's your will, take this cup of suffering from me. But Lord, not my will, but your will be done. The wrestling of it, because he knows what's about to happen. And here it is. The culmination of what he has been predicting for the three years that he's been ministering. He knows he's about to go to the cross. And listen, guys, you cannot imagine how horrible a death on the cross is. If you ever study, the Romans had perfected the art of crucifixion, of exacting out of their victims the most possible suffering they could before death, making the death the slowest, most painful, most excruciating kind of death. Crucifixion was reserved for the worst of the worst criminals. And this, and Jesus knew in his flesh, because he was fully human and fully God, he was wrestling with what was going on. So you can imagine the emotions of things that Jesus is dealing with as he's standing here, and there's all these accusations flying at Jesus. John chapter 19, verse 10. Do you refuse to speak to me, Pilate said? Now Jesus, again, is having all these accusations thrown at him, and he says nothing. Doesn't defend himself, doesn't come out and defend all these, he just sits and listens. It's an amazing amount of security in this, in, in Christ. Don't you realize, Pilate said, that I have the power to either to free you or to crucify you? And then suddenly Jesus answers, oh, all right, I, this is what I want to discuss with you, Pilate. You would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Hmm. That'll blow your theology out of the water, won't it? You think there are people in your life that are causing pressure on you that God may be allowing that to happen? Now, he doesn't cause it. God is, God, is, God is only good. Nothing but good can come from God because God is good. He, at his very essence, is good. He cannot, no evil can come near God, so therefore God cannot cause evil. He is at his core a good God. But he can allow pressure on our lives to, because he's in the disciple-making process, business. He's in a pruning business sometimes. He wants fruitful vines. I think it's really quiet in here. I may be more positive about this message, but this is the truth of what Jesus is saying right here. He says, you wouldn't have any pressure on me. You can't put any pressure on me unless God was giving you the authority to do it. All right, so I'm going to give you two quick things today, and I'm going to share something pretty personal with you. What, what, what do we got to do to get free from this then? There's, only, there's two things, there's only two things, very simple things. But they're, they're very difficult. So when you hear them, you're going to go, ah, of course. But then, all right, then do it. <laughs> I'm telling you, you start trying to do it. You hear the simplicity of the gospel sometimes? You go, ah, yeah, I'm going to try to do it. Here's the first thing. 
If you're going to be free from insecurity, you've got to stop fearing people. Proverbs 29 25 says, Fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. If you fear people, you'll start serving them. If you fear people, they'll become your master. If you fear them, you'll start doing what they say out of fear. It takes faith to trust God when people are attacking you. An amazing amount of faith to trust God when people are attacking. Isaiah 51.12 says, I, even I, am he who comforts you. Why are, who are you that you fear mortal men, the sons of men, who are but grass? John 12.42 says, Yet at the same time, many, even among the leaders, believed in him, but because of the Pharisees, they would not confess their faith for fear they would be put out of the synagogue. For they loved praise from men more than praise from God. You see, here's, as, as a pastor of a church, and I've been pastor of a small church, pastor of a big church, it doesn't matter. Pastors notoriously give in to compliments or criticism, and they usually are, and both end up negatively affecting them. You see, criticism drives us toward depression, Compliments drive us toward pride, and it's a nasty game all of us have to play, trying to find the balance. And this is why we've got to settle it in our hearts who we are. And, you know, if none of you tell me this was, if, you know, if none of you say a word about how good this was, or if ten of you line up and say it was the worst talk I've ever heard, it won't affect my, it might affect my emotions for a season, good or bad. But it won't affect who I am. I can guarantee it. I love all of you. I'm not scared of any of you can't be. The moment I start fearing people and what they say or can't say about me, I'm done. Done. I love all of you. Not afraid of any of you. And you've got to settle that in your heart. All of you as men. My dad used to tell me that, son, don't let anybody bully you. And he said, you know, you've got to stand. And my my dad was like that. We're not going to be afraid of people. We're not going to be afraid of people, what they can say, what they can do, how they can affect us. And and that settles something in your heart. You see, people have no ability to do anything over you. You're not their son. You are his son. And the last time I checked, he's in charge. He's in charge. My dad's in charge. My dad owns all this stuff. He owns it all. My dad has all authority, all power, and he owns everything. Why should I be afraid of of anyone else? But if you don't know if you're your son, you will start fearing people that you think can hurt you. You see, compliments and criticism are important. It's important to have words of affirmation, and it's important to have people who can criticize and challenge you. No, both those things are necessary in our human psyche and our desires and our needs as men. We need people who will challenge us. We need people who will compliment us. But that, none of those things, none of those things establish our identity. All right, I'm going to talk about the elephant in the room, all right? All right, so this week, <laughs> I'm the pastor of a church whose former pastor started a church a mile away this week. And I haven't said anything. When the media asked me, the comment I gave in the paper was sincere and honest. No doubt about it. But you wouldn't imagine how many phone calls I got this week worrying about me. How you doing, Reddy? You all right? Yeah, you woke me up from a nap. (laughs) Thursday night, I slept almost nine hours. That's how worried I am about new life. There you go. 
probably nine hours. I'm not, I, I, whatever happens, happens. But I know this, God called me here. I'm not wrestling with that. If I were wrestling with my calling here, I'd have been up all night. But I'm not. I've never wrestled with that. It's an assurance I have from God that I, we've been shot at. That was, kept me up a few nights. Nothing else really wrestled. I don't wrestle with it. I want you to just everybody settle down. Take a deep breath. Tend the field that God's called you to, to tend. Keep your hand to the plow. Don't look to the right or the left. The field that you're in, it belongs to God, so tend it. Be a good steward of it. And when he, if he wants to move you to another field, he'll move you to another field. But right now, I am so busy loving and pastoring new life, I cannot be distracted by anything else. I bless everything that God's doing in this city. If God's doing something in the city, I'm for it. And if it's not God, well, it'll come to nothing. It's Acts chapter 5, Gamaliel said those wise words. So I bless the thing that God's doing. And I don't have time to resist that anything else. I just don't fear people. Not one bit. And I haven't always been true about me. I'm just telling you, this has only been recent. That God's really let me free from that. So with that is a steadiness, a stability. I just walk it out every day and get up, love my family, hug Abram and Callie and Pam. And I come to work, I pray, I study I do what I'm called to do. I'll let God sort it all out at the end. Don't you agree? All right, so here's, here's the second thing. So number one, you've got to stop fearing people. People are not our enemy. And the second thing is you've got to stop fearing the future. And I'm, let me just ask you a personal question. What do you think about when you think about your future? I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about you, your Your future. Not new life and none of that. I'm talking about you. When you think about the next three, five, ten years of your life, what are the dominant emotions that rise up in your heart about what's next for you? Are you afraid of dying? Are you afraid of getting sick? Are you afraid of poverty? Are you afraid of losing it all? Or do you think, when you think about your future, do you think, I'm going to be fruitful. I'm going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. God is with me. I am in the palm of his hand. Nothing can snatch me from the palm of his hand. I am the temple of the Holy Spirit. The word of God is a sword in my hand, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. You see, Satan really can't see the future. He doesn't have the the ability to see the future, but he can certainly see the horizon. He has really no more ability to see the future than us. Do you know that? None. Now, we can all, with some prediction, predict some things that are going to happen with some certainty. And that's pretty much all the power he has. He's not deity. Really, only God knows what's around the next corner, over the next horizon. And so when I, when I really am feeling uncertainty about the future, I've, the Lord has taken me to these passages. That I'm just going to, so what I'm going to close with this morning, I'm just going to read some scripture to you. Because I do believe the Holy Spirit, through the Word, can pierce our hearts. So I wanna, I'm asking you a personal question. What do you think about when you think about your future? Now, I certainly have these thoughts a lot. I'm 42. I've got young kids. 
And I think about what's, what's ahead for Brady Boyd? First Ephesians chapter 1. So this is when I, wrestling with my future and what I'm thinking about, I'll go to these scriptures. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and his will. May it gave God a lot of pleasure to adopt me. Then I go down to verse 18. In between 5 and 18 are some great scriptures, but verse 18 is where I camp out on a lot of times. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. Go back to that. The eyes of your heart. The eyes of your heart. Take some time on that this week. Look that up. The eyes of your heart. See what our mouth always betrays our heart, but so does what our eyes do too. What we allow in through our eyes ends up in our heart. And then our mouth always betrays what's in our heart. He says, the eyes of your heart may be enlightened out of darkness, in other words, in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Romans 8, verse 38. Let me read this to you. For I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from his love. Death can't. Life can't. The angels can't. The demons can't. Our fears for today, our worries about tomorrow, and even the powers of hell can't keep God's love away. Sorry, let me ask you a question again. What do you think about when you think about your future? I think about being the son of a God who's really crazy about me. I'm the son of a God who loves me unashamedly, forever and always. Ephesians 3, let's, I want you this morning, just to close your eyes for a second, I'm going to ask you to listen to these words with spiritual ears this morning. I'm going to close this off, and I'm going to pray over you. Pray, to, pray together for each other. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen the men of new life with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Here's a word for you today, new life. That you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Living like secure sons. This morning, with your eyes closed, I want to, let's, let's be real honest with each other. I, I was very transparent with you. I told you what I'm going through, what the things I wrestled with this week. But I'm grateful that before any of this happened the last three years, I came to the knowledge that I was a son. And I'm telling you, it's what has sustained me and grown me and shaped me and will continue to grow me and shape me and form me as a man. How many of you this morning are wrestling with some insecurity? Maybe it's, maybe it's not a big amount, but maybe it's some. How many of you have realized that maybe you are a bit defensive right now? and Maybe that, maybe even a bit, bit paranoid about that something you have is going to get taken away. Maybe there is a fear of the future that 
you're wrestling with about, you're just not sure about how God's going to use what he's going to do. And when you think about your future, it's not these things. How many of you have realized that this shaking that we've gone on has revealed something in your heart that God may want to deal with this morning? How many of you are just feeling a little unsettled right now and you just need to settle down, be stable, be steady? Just raise your hands if any of those things apply to you this morning. A lot of you, my hand's up too. I, I believe that about myself, that I want to get to the bottom of this in my heart to make sure it never comes back. So let's pray together for each other. Lord, thank you so much that we are sons. Lord, I thank you this morning that we're not orphans or slaves, but we're sons. We've said yes to you, Lord. We believe you. We trust you. We're followers of Jesus. So our sonship has been established in the heavens, written in ink in heaven, Lord, written down. Father, I pray today for every man in the room that you would fill us with the Holy Spirit. Lord, we confess that insecurity is an emotional, that it's an unhealthy emotion that can wreck us from the inside out. So Lord, today we pray you would establish your security in the core of our hearts so that we can be unmovable, unshakable, steady, living life in command of our lives through you. Lord, I pray that we be men of great humility but great strength. Men of, who recognize our brokenness but we also recognize the power of heaven that you've given us. Aware of our humanity, aware of the carnality that tempts us, but Lord, we are also so aware of your hand that's upon our lives today, that you're for us, that you're good, that you're not against us. Thank you for the security that we have of being a son. We receive it today in Jesus' name, Jesus' name, amen, amen. Stand with me this morning. I want to to invite all of our small group leaders, if you lead a men's small group or any kind of small group at New Life, would you come forward and let us, I want those, and we have our pastors here today, if you're a pastor or a small group leader, come out and let, stand up here around the front, we're going to give you, maybe I think some of you guys just want, need to have a guy, somebody pray with you this morning. So these are small group leaders, pastors, leaders, and by the way, if you're not in a small group, let me just challenge you this morning that don't live an independent life, don't live a life isolated from the body of Christ, let us gather together the more as we see the day approaching let's not forsake the assembling of ourselves but let's gather together in small groups is one of the primary ways we gather and support and encourage one another strengthen one another so there's lots of opportunities if you're disconnected now look guys new life let me tell you that uh i think this morning has been great so far and we're going to have some great breakouts but let me tell you that uh, a potential tragedy that could happen here this morning all right is that there's a lot of guys here today that you assume that they know a lot of friends here. And I'm going to tell you something, I can guarantee you there's probably 30% of the crowd here that don't know, doesn't know anyone else in the room hardly. And so what I want, when we dismiss new lifers, if you've been here more than 60 days, you're in, okay? So let me just tell you, this is your responsibility. You've got to meet somebody you've never met. Don't get into your own little click here. I mean, I like clicks. I have a few clicks myself, nothing evil about them necessarily. But, but I want to make sure that you're always aware that there are guys around you who need a friend, who just want to connect. They came here today saying, God, I just kind of need somebody to care enough to even introduce themselves to me. So would you make that your mission, your purpose? This is your role today in this, this gathering, to make sure you're connected and go find somebody. If you see somebody standing out on the perimeter, you be the guy that goes out and takes that guy with you to 
this breakout, all right? 